This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome to Radio Free Canada News and Notes for Thursday, September the 9th. Now, I don't know if Chairman Ford, our radical left-wing premier, was listening to this program yesterday or maybe one of his minions, but the Ford government did a complete about face on yesterday's announcement about funerals. If you didn't catch the show yesterday, Lou and I were discussing how the Bereavement Authority of Ontario, which regulates the funeral industry, they released a statement uh, that said that only fully vaccinated people, only fully vaccinated people would be allowed to attend indoor funerals as of September 22nd. And I said such a mandate is absolutely unconscionable. It's ethically and morally wrong. These people are in the bereavement business. And you're going to deny family members a chance for closure, a chance to say goodbye in a in a funeral home. So anyway, we tried to get someone on from the bereavement authority of Ontario. And uh, and we tried again today. But then this story ran today in the Toronto Sun. It reads. The Ford government is moving to clarify when proof of a vaccination is needed when it comes to funerals and weddings in the province. Clarification. It's not a clarification. I read the BAO statement. The position was very clear. Now, it was immoral and indefensible, but it was very clear. No double vaccination or medical exemption. No attendance at an indoor funeral, if you weren't doubly vaxxed and you, did, and you didn't have a, a medical exemption, you weren't attending an indoor funeral in the province of Ontario as of September 22. Now, it's important to remember funerals and weddings, they're a religious sacrament. You can't be messing with those. So now the province has, quote, end quote, clarified. Ah, right. Whatever. If they if, if that's the way they want to play it, that's fine. The point is. It's a victory. Proof of vaccination is not needed for funerals, regardless of whether they're held in a place of worship or a funeral home. Again, that is a complete reversal. So basically, they got slapped down, the Ford government, because they knew what they were doing was wrong, wrong and immoral. So again, a victory. We have to celebrate our victories these days. Uh, Did you see this bizarre video on social media from North Korea? A very slimmed down North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. And then thousands of soldiers in red hazmat suits and gas masks parading at midnight. And it looked like some scene out of an Austin Powers movie. And as I'm looking at this video, 
before I saw the footage of, of Kim Jong-un and I just saw the soldiers in the red hazmat suits, I thought to myself, is this Australia? Is this is this happening down under? I'll tell you why. Australia is lost, friends. This is sad. Have a listen to this from Australia's new chief health official. Could you play that for us, Jake, Jacob? Will exposure signs be put back in place, especially with reopening and people going back to pubs and stuff? Because our exposure sites still, will they be put back in place to be listed once we are reopening? Because they're not at the moment. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. And yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Our response may be differently, different if we know that people are fully vaccinated. So we're working through a number of those um, issues, but we will have to reflect and learn that. But this is very much- All right. Did you catch that from the Aussie health minister? Just in case you missed it. Here it is again. Let's uh, not not the whole clip, Jacob, the shorter one. We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order, in the new world order, in the new world order, in the new world order. There you go. Just in case you missed it. The new world order. Seriously? She's actually actually saying this stuff out loud now. They're not even trying to pretend anymore. New world order. Now, maybe. Oh, this was a slip of the tongue. She misspoke. Really? Okay. Now listen to this from the new health minister in the state of New South Wales, Australia. Jacob, please. That's the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. This is the new world order, folks. This is Australia. Sad to say, but true. There is now more freedom, dare I say, in the former Soviet Union than there now is in Australia. If an Australian has been away, out of the country, out of a state, out of the city and now wants to return to their home in Victoria, they must receive a vaccine before they're allowed back into their own home, their own private residence. This is Australia, folks. And if you're sitting there listening to this and saying that could never happen here, I would have to say at this point that your naivete is breathtaking. Now, sometimes a certain naivete can be charming. This kind of naivete is not. This is dangerous. This could happen here very, very easily and very, very quickly. Australia is lost. I'm not sure the people there can ever get it back. It is once again a penal colony. Lou, the New World Order, she said it out loud. He said it out loud twice. Well, that's what happens when you have a script. Right. They were both given the script. They're both reading the script. It's kind of like yesterday's uh, French language debate. They were all on script. Right. 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 Following the narrative. Exactly. Now, when you said script, I thought for a minute, maybe you meant prescription. (laughs) Oh, they're on something for sure. But right here, Richard, I have my ticket for the uh, event on September the 20th, and I will be exercising my franchise once again, trying to bring an order to this chaos. And it's not the new world order. It's based on old principles. Right. We want to go back to the old world order. Well, you know, I'm always looking for progress. Don't get me wrong. 
let's move ahead. Let's improve. But let's not keep doing the same old thing. Right. But on our terms, not, you know, some some technocrat over there in Geneva or at the World Economic Forum. We well, want to we read our terms. Well, we've got a local, you know, spokes baby, you know, that's advocating almost the same thing. So we'll have to be diligent, carry on, even if we don't get the outcome that we want on the 20th. Um, we still have to persevere and carry on. We do. We still we have to fight. We have to dig in and fight. Uh, speaking of which, today we're going to meet another candidate running in the 2021 federal election today, another People's Party candidate. Now, listen, this, I'm, I'm not trying to skew this, uh, but it's kind of first come, first serve. The People's Party, they get excluded from a lot of the debates. They have a platform here. They know they come on. But tomorrow we've got a Green Party candidate, an NDP candidate. But today we'll meet the uh, the PPC candidate uh, running in Guelph. Now, I didn't watch last night's debate. I watched highlights. And, and there were none, quite frankly. <laughs> Those five people up on, on on stage, it just it almost causes me to despair. I mean, I don't know if you, how much you watch, but I, there is not a I mean, they are totally bereft of gravitas, uh, intellect, charisma, sincerity, originality. I think is this the best we could do? Well, it it's the kabuki. Right. This is the kabuki that we're left with. I mean, you've got an election commission. Richard, that has excluded Mad Max from the conversation. And the reason I was watching the French debates was to see how the other show ponies did in a language not their own, right? Not their own principal first language. And I thought they all did okay. Not great, but they were they were able to communicate some ideas in a foreign language. <laughs> they were able, wow, that's high praise indeed. Hey, if you need to find a commode, you better be able to spit that out. <laughs> well, we're going to get to Jim Carajalios, the uh, former leadership candidate for the Conservative Party. Uh, I want to talk to him about Aaron O'Toole and whether his I mean, this to me should be in capable hands. This election should be an empty net. Right. All you need to do is put the puck into an empty net. And and yet the liberals and the conservatives still, you know, neck and neck. I've seen some polls, you know, maybe two points. It's the margin of error. They're neck and neck. It's a it's a knife's edge. This should be an empty net goal. And I, I think that a lot of it has to do with Aaron O'Toole's constant flip flopping. So we'll get Jim Carajalios, again, former leadership candidate for the conservatives and also the co-founder of the provincial New Blue Party to talk about that and other matters. And um, you remember this story out of California? There was this a person who identified as a female, had male organs was allowed to disrobe in the women's section of a spa. It's called the We Spa. And that that went viral, that incident sparked demonstrations over transgender rights outside of the We Spa. Turns out now that person who identified as female has been identified as a 52-year-old male registered sex offender. So Esme V is a founding member of COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. They join us every uh, Thursday as we push back against radical gender ideology. And uh, for those that missed that interview yesterday, I did with the ethics professor from Huron College at the University of Western Ontario. I'm going to replay that in the second hour. And then we're going to meet the mayor of this township. Did you hear about this mayor of Warwick Township, Lou? She, no, I missed that. Basically, she tweeted out that uh, she's she's tired of the bullying and she's not going to reveal her medical 
information to anybody but her own health care provider. And, um, you know, she's she's uh, she's going to suffer the consequences. She says, you know, I'll be discriminated against. There'll be businesses that won't, won't allow me in and I'm ready to do it. But I'm here to defend, you know, my principles and, and uh, I'm here to defend Canada. So, so she's an anti-vaxxer. No, she's not, actually. She's not. In fact, well, you'll hear the interview uh, coming up, but I, I happen to know that she's um, she actually volunteered Vax Clinic. She says, for those that want to take it, you know, do it. Um, and I don't know if she's taken the vaccine, but she won't reveal that information. Hey, Richard, yes. hold the phone. It's 15. Traffic on the fives. Let's go. Come on. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you in an hour. All right. Happy capitalism. All right. He's a taskmaster. Uh, when we come back, we'll meet another candidate. Stay with us. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. Josh Layer is the PPC candidate running in the federal riding of Guelph. Josh, welcome to the program. How are you? I am doing very well. Thanks for having me, Richard. I'm a Long-time fan, long-time listener. I could talk to you for hours on one of your other programs, but most of the topics we would discuss are quickly becoming our reality anyway. Isn't that so true? Did I, first of all, did I get your last name correct? Is it Lear? So it's actually Lear. It, um, you could use it as your German word of the day. <laughs> nice. it, uh, Sir, nicely played. It, <laughs> it originates from the Greek instrument, the lyre, but I don't want anyone to confuse me for Trudeau. All right. Oh, all right. Just like you rehearsed it. All right, Josh. Uh, so would you agree that there, this is a one issue campaign and it has to do with Vax mandates and Vax passports? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think there's there's much of a reason to get into any other issues if we're not making sure that Canada is a free and democratic society to begin with. And, and what are you hearing when you knock on doors in Guelph? Because, you know, I've seen polls that that seem to indicate that the I've seen some polls that indicate the majority of Canadians. Uh, and now it differs from region to region, but overall, the majority of Canadians seem to be supporting Vax passports and, and Vax mandates. So that's a that's a tough hill to climb, isn't it? Yeah. So I think a lot of the polls are misleading. I, I think they want to try to convince everybody that you want to be on the majority and agree with the vaccine passports. But when we're talking to the people of Guelph, I'm getting people from the liberal side, the, the green party side, people who have voted for the left for 20, 30 years. And they're telling me they're going to vote PPC this time around because they do not agree with the government telling them what they have to put into their body. And they don't want to be tracked and traced wherever they go. It's interesting. I was speaking with uh, Andrew Lawton yesterday from True North, and um, I was asking him, you know, where is the PPC gathering their support? Because it, they're not it doesn't look like the conservative party is, you know, bleeding support necessarily. Uh, and he had an interesting theory, and he said that he thinks some of it's coming from former Green Party supporters. And I think for the same for the reason you just outlined, do you have that same feeling that you're that this is such a nonpartisan issue when it comes to, you know, the uh, bodily autonomy and freedom of you know charter rights, freedom of mobility and so forth, that that you're actually positioned to take uh, voters from the NDP, from the Green Party, maybe even some disaffected liberals. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. That's that's the thing. There's a lot of talk of splitting the vote, but the truth is we're getting people from all of the other parties joining joining our movement because they don't want to be poked and prodded against their will. And and they they see that as a higher value than anything else that they were fighting for in the past. And I think that's sort of like a foundation we need to make sure stays in place in Canada, that you cannot just be forced to do whatever the government tells you if it goes against your conscience. Um, So I've seen some polls. I think it was an Ecos poll recently that showed the PPC at, was it 8% or 10%? And I, you know, other polls, you're all over the place, depending on the other polls. What is the best, I mean, let's be realistic here that you're not going to form the next government. Let's what is the best possible outcome? Do you think if you have, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen seats in Parliament and the conservatives have a very narrow minority uh, that that then you could have considerable influence in a conservative government? Yes, I think I think that's probably the best case scenario realistically obviously we would love to form government but we're so new and there's still so many people that haven't heard about what we're all about especially in guelph like we don't get the media coverage i don't have anyone coming to interview me nobody wants to hear what we have to say we've been trying to hold events throughout the city and we just keep getting shut down at every corner um so it's difficult to spread this message when you're you're censored online you're basically censored at every every corner. So, but when people hear this message, when you speak to them one-to-one, it's something that they totally agree with. It's just a matter of getting that word out there because right now, a lot of people, they don't feel that they have any choice. And there's a huge segment of the population that has never voted before. They don't vote traditionally. And for once they see how government is absolutely affecting their lives and the way they're allowed to live their lives. And I think we're going to see a lot of people coming out and voting that have never voted before for any party. I just have a couple of minutes here, but one of the labels that you, you have to overcome uh, that gets thrown out there by the media, like a drum beat, a constant drum beat, and then parroted by, by others. And that is that, Oh, the PPC, they're a far right party. You're an extremist party assuage people's concerns and fears over that label, if you could. I think we are leaning a lot more to the libertarian side of things. We are for freedom of choice. We do not discriminate in this party. We have people from all over Canada coming from tons of different backgrounds that support us, that are candidates. I've been speaking with people, immigrants from all over the world that are totally on board. They've come from places where they're oppressed and they want to stand up and fight, those are just labels to denounce us without ever having to look past the issues. And I've had people in my own family say, oh, you're just a group of neo-Nazis. And I'm like, well, auntie, am I a neo-Nazi? Of course not. So you can't just listen to what the mainstream narrative is. You have to actually look at the platform, look for what we stand for. We're putting Canadians first. We're going to have a fight for freedom rally in Guelph on Sunday at two o'clock. We'd love to see a lot of supporters come out and hear myself and Sil Carl speaking. We're going to have guest speakers. We just want to spread the word as quick as possible with such a short amount of time left. All right, Josh. Well, thank you for joining us. Josh Lyer, PPC candidate running in the riding of Guelph. All the best. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. All right. When we come back, Jim Carahalios, co-founder of the New Blue Party, former federal conservative leadership candidate. 
will be here <clears throat> to weigh in on the uh, the debate and other matters. Back in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Hey, welcome back. Just want to correct myself uh, and uh, apologize. I, I mispronounced Josh Lear's name twice. Uh, it's Josh Lear, He's the uh, PPC candidate running in Guelph. All right, let's get our good uh, buddy Jim Carajalios in here, co-founder of the New Blue Party, former federal conservative leadership candidate. Jim, how are you? Richard, it's always good to be on the show. Um, it's a good day. It's uh, up and down with uh, physio recovering from fighting cancer, but things get better every day. Terrific. That's great news. That's great news. Thanks, so, Richard. I don't know if you watch the uh, leadership debate. I try not to because when I do, it just leads me to despair. Uh, there is just, as I mentioned to Lou earlier, not not an ounce of gravitas or intellect or charm um, or anything, really. It's just like they might as well put five cardboard cutouts out there. But I wanted to ask you specifically about Aaron O'Toole. Uh, you ran against Aaron in the uh, the federal leadership uh, race. And I'm just wondering, to me, this should be what I call an empty net uh, election. You know, when you're running against someone like he's like a mad King Ludwig to me, uh, Trudeau, it should be an empty net goal. And yet, you know, they're neck and neck. What's what is getting in O'Toole's way besides himself? Is it the constant flip flopping? Do you think is that hurting him? Well, it's really hard to um, convince voters to vote for you when you don't believe in anything. And Aaron O'Toole doesn't believe in anything. Uh, so Aaron O'Toole, uh, like many of his candidates and the people running the show behind the Conservative Party, the lobbyists, uh, they they just uh, they just want to find the easiest path to power. So when he gets a little bit of pushback on uh, vaccines, you get a little, little bit of pushback on firearm owners that he promised them during the leadership things. He'll just oh, flip flop and he'll back down. And he'll just say and do anything and agree with uh, Trudeau on everything. And they just sit there and they hope, you know, eventually we're going to win because uh, the public's going to get sick of Trudeau. Uh, He's also uh, he's got no compass, right? No character. Um, And so I think if if I knew that Aaron O'Toole was the guy I'm running, which I'd never work for him, but let's just say you're a strategist, some of the people that call themselves behind O'Toole. You wouldn't get him into debates because like you saw in the leadership, I criticized him with a couple Facebook posts and an email blast because his campaign chair, Walid Solomon, uh, uh, ran the PC party with vote rigging and allowed that to happen and also promotes Sharia law in the Globe and Mail in a Globe and Mail interview. Aaron O'Toole lost, got me uh, kicked out of the race with his friends Lisa Ray running the show on the leadership because he couldn't beat me. So he's that kind of a politician. He loses his cool can't handle the heat, can't handle the pressure. They made him a nice studio in Ottawa so he can just do Zoom meetings so that he doesn't go out in the public and face the voters, right? Uh, so he's terrible, Richard. Like, he, he, he cannot run a campaign. No backbone. He's very thin-skinned. He can't take criticism. And he's never actually won a race of significance on his own. So when he ran for nomination in the Conservative Party in Durham, he had to have one candidate disqualified and have the vote scheduled on the day of the other candidates, his opponents, the other candidates wedding day. No one knows this. So he got acclaimed 
in in his dad's old riding by blocking two others from running, which is uh, like a joke. Like you should be able to win that easily. And then the leadership, I call him an illegitimate leader, Richard, because he couldn't beat me. I was in third place and I was catching up to him. So he had his friends wipe me out of the race twice in the middle of the race. And at that point in time, it was all set in stone. He was going to uh, overcome Peter McKay with the support of Derek Sloan and Leslie Lewis and win. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't have much good things to say about Aaron O'Toole or the Conservative Party of Canada. And I'm actually surprised it's this close. I thought he was going to get blown out. So let's give him a point, Richard. He's not getting blown out. Right. Let's be kind to him. He's not getting blown out. All right. Um, any thoughts on the the surge? According to some polls, anyway, I saw an Ecos poll. The PPC were at 10 percent. And I'm trying to figure out where they're getting that from their support, because I don't know if it's the undecided, maybe people who've never voted before. I spoke with Andrew Lawton from True North yesterday. He had an interesting theory. He thought maybe even some from the Greens, because, you know, the Green, we think of the Green Party supporter. They're kind of, you know, they're they're into uh, nature and healthy living and maybe they're opposed to vaccine mandates. And I think, you know, there's some truth to the, the idea that the passport, the vaccine passport and vaccine mandates is really kind of a non or should be a nonpartisan issue. And so maybe the PPC are, are, are getting some support from disaffected liberals, NDP, even the Greens. What are your thoughts? Uh, thank you for asking me. Look, first, I want to say uh, there's a lot of people that are hearing about the People's Party and the new blue party. And I need to just take the time to make it clear that the People's Party is a federal party and the new blue party of Ontario is a provincial party. So we're running candidates in next year's election. Um, uh, we, uh, the new blue party's name, the new blue party, because in Ontario, you can't use the same name as another party or a similar name as another party, just like the conservatives and the progressive conservatives have two different names federally and provincially. So having said that, yeah, maybe on the margins, they're picking up votes from former liberals and former green voters. But I think at the end of the day, their bread and butter uh, on the PPC vote is disenfranchised blue voters. So it, it could have been the case, Richard, that someone voted green eight years ago and they thought they were a green voter. And now with everything that's going on, they're starting to realize the importance of liberty, faith, family, and people's views change, right? What's the famous expression that when you're young, you vote uh, on the left and you get a little sm uh, older and you figure it out and you start voting to the right. Uh, so he may be picking up some of that, but the bread and butter for the, for in my opinion, for the People's Party of Canada is upset uh, conservative voters. Upset because that party is run by lobbyists who are just going to continue the liberal agenda and maybe even make it worse. Like we've seen Doug Ford provincially, he's gone farther left than Dalton McGinty and Kathleen Wynn. Okay, got to take a quick time out, Jim. We'll come back and uh, we'll discuss uh, the vaccine passport and uh, Premier Ford in just a moment. Jim Carajalios, co-founder of the New Blue Party, stays with us. Back with more in three minutes. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. 
for months, I've been telling you about the wonderful health products from my good friends at North American Herb and Spice. I've been telling you and everyone I know about how to get maximum immune support from P73 wild oregano. Whether you prefer the drops, the gel caps, powder, or even inhalants, North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 wild oregano is available at fine health stores across the GTA, or you can order online at oregano.com. Visit the website and sign up for the North American Herb and Spice newsletter and then receive 5% off when you order online. P73 wild oregano for a healthy immune system from North American Herb and Spice. The website, once again, oregano.com. Let me spell that for you. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. 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 Oregano.com. All right, we are back, excuse me, with uh, Jim Carajalios, co-founder of the New Blue Party of Ontario. He's uh, beaten cancer. He's getting himself back in shape and uh, I guess preparing for the provincial election next year. So, Jim, let me just get some impressions about the um, the rollout of this vaccine passport in Ontario that's coming September 22nd. I see the uh, Toronto Police Services Union is opposed. Now the transit union worker, 12, uh, I think 12,000, 12 transit union uh, uh, workers union, they are opposed. Are we starting to see some cracks here in the foundation? Well, I, I think... Um... Uh, it was always interesting to see how the unions are going to respond to this because they have an obligation to their employees to defend their employees' rights. And uh, they might like it because it's kind of left-wing policy and some of the union leaders might be on the left and how they're going to juggle their responsibility to uh, their employees is interesting. And uh, we've got, we've had received lots of calls, Belinda, the MPP for Cambridge, my wife, and I, both to our office and to the party, of people really worried about losing their jobs, not just the ability to go watch a movie, but losing their jobs. Um, and Richard, I will say this, you know, there's there's a big push. Obviously, uh, people that are against the passport are saying we need a political option that gets rid of the passport. But it's not enough to get rid of the passport. We, The New Blue Party, Belinda and I have been saying it's not enough. We have to actually repeal all this ridiculous legislation and the rules that Ford's put forward, uh, Doug Ford, and put in place uh, uh, legislation that protects the access rights and the jobs of people. Because it's not just a question of are you vaccinated or not. It's a question of it's none of your business. Right. Why do you, as the employer, have the right to ask me that question? And so we we believe we need to go way farther than repeal and scrap and get rid of those terrible laws that have been put in place in the last year and a half. It's protections have to be put in place for people not to lose their jobs and their access rights and to stop, especially institutions that are receiving taxpayer money. If you're receiving taxpayer money, by definition, you should be open to the public. You don't get the right to turn away taxpayer funding operation. That's ridiculous. Like it's so uh, asinine and it's gone so far uh, that it's not enough to just repeal. We got to stop the use of these things uh, come uh, come next uh, election. Isn't part of the problem, and I know this is this is a federal thing, but our charter that we've got that I call it the weenie clause, right? Provision one, which 
basically allows courts to rule. They can strike down various parts of the charter uh, saying that these are reasonable restrictions. And we're seeing this time and time again in federal courts, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, hotel quarantines, which should be that should be a tap in as an unreasonable detention. We're losing these cases. Isn't isn't the issue really with with the charter and that that clause one, that we need clause? Yeah, so the, all avenues of pushing back on these draconian laws are important. Charter challenges, legal challenges, employment law. But this is not strictly a legal question, Richard, because as we know and we've seen uh, since the charter has been put in place, you can't rely everything on the opinion of one judge interpreting uh, a couple lines in the charter. Right. Like and, and the legal tests that were created in the courtroom. This is a political issue in in terms of uh, representation of those making power that that can only get fixed at the ballot box. And so for some reason in Canada, well, it's not some reason, I know why, the institutions in our country turned against uh, voters and taxpayers. And so you see the NDP, the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, PC Party in Ontario, they all agree on the same thing. But so it's, but it's not a legal solution, Richard. We can't just fight this in court and hope one judge is going to fix everything. This has to be pushed back through uh, federally. The PPC is doing a good job and provincially the new Blue Party of Ontario next year. And my wife was way ahead of this ago or a year ago and a bit. Bill 195, the lockdown bill that gave Doug Ford the power to do that. She was the only current or former PC MPP to vote against it. The party he kicked of us party for it. Even the people who supported her, she knew where we were going with this giving one guy all the power to do whatever he wants. Terrible, terrible stuff. All right, Jim, we just got less than a minute here. Uh, now you've beaten cancer, you're back. You say you're getting yourself back into shape. Give us an update on the status of uh, the new Blue Party. So great news. Um, uh, we've been working really hard with the board of the party to put together documents, the constitution. The next steps, we're going to open up a member's portal. Um, we've, we're getting a lot of uh, messages in that we're actually uh, – uh, so hard to keep up with people interested in uh, running riding associations, um, uh, being candidates in the next election. So that's all getting rolled out um, uh, very soon uh, with the membership portal and then applications for candidates. And so um, we're getting a lot of a lot of uh, interest, Richard, to build it up from the ground up. And that's what we're going to do. So the Constitution is basically ready to roll out. Well, you got to have some governing documents, Richard, and then we're going to have uh, people have been calling and emailing. I want to buy a membership to your party, but we got to line up the governing documents before people buy a membership. And look, Richard, great news. Uh, Randy tweeted out last week, forgot to mention, you know, been waiting for Jim and Belinda to call back. Um, would love to uh, have a talk about it, but it's been crickets. You know, I really got to apologize because I was sick for the last year, but there's an opportunity there, it looks like, to maybe get Randy Hillier on side. We'll try with Randy. We'll try with Rick Nichols. We'll see where it goes. So really good news. All right, Jim, continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. And Kara Halios, the new Blue Party of Ontario. All right, when we come back, we push back against radical gender ideology. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. <laughs> 
We Spa out in California. We Spa made the headlines earlier in the summer after a woman was upset that a person who identified as female but had male organs was allowed to disrobe in the women's section of the business. The uh, viral incident sparked demonstrations over transgender rights outside of the spa. And uh, there's been an update in that story. And uh, we're going to talk about that next with Esme V, who is a founding member of COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. And Esme is also co-host of the podcast, Gender Critical Story Hour. Esme V, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on, Richard. My pleasure. So give us an update on this uh, We Spa story. Well, um, this is a story that goes back to June and an indecent uh, uh, exposure uh, incident at the We Spa, as you mentioned in your intro. Uh, the viral video, it just exploded online and it was... Um, it featured a woman named Kubana, uh, uh, Kubana Angel, Kubana Ankel, and she uh, she was just a very plain speaking woman. She was just telling it like it is, you know, material biological reality. What a concept! And she basically, you know, said, "There's a man in the women's spa." And in fact, um, in in a later uh, pr- uh, press conference, she even revealed that the man was like semi erect, you know. So it was just um, a very upsetting incident. Uh, it was immediately branded in the uh, mainstream press and the so-called progressive press as as a hoax that somehow you know they'd set this up and um, to give and and in fact they denigrated this this woman who is is a black woman, um, also very openly a Christian. And, you know, they, they brought that into it, that somehow she was somehow a far-right bigot. And um, there were big, you know, polemics on Twitter about, you know, how trans women are the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, vulnerable people in society. And then last week, um, it came out, it was reported in the LA Times, that um, this person by the name of Dar- Darren Merriger, six foot two inches, 200 pounds, 52 years old, uh, was um, uh, charged with multiple counts of indecent exposure. And so this, this person was, um, the, and the, the prosecutors decided to go with felony charges. And um, it could have gone with misdemeanor, but the reason they went with felony charges is because this person has a very long uh, rap sheet going back to 2006 with convic- convictions for indecent exposure, currently awaiting trial on seven counts dating back to 2019. So this is a, a clear uh, situation where, you know, our detractors, those people who, who are the radical uh, gender ideologues say, you know, oh, this never happens, you know, and, and here it is. It happens to, to exactly the, the shock of no one um, in the gender critical camp. Right. So this individual who um, was in the spa, he he's now been outed basically as a registered sex offender. Correct. In the spa, he he was naked. He had, according to this one eyewitness account, had an erection in the in, in the women's you know section of the wee spa. And I remember that video. The woman went to the uh, to the reception desk to complain and was met with, you know, she was basically dismissed and and uh, 
Then there was a, a, a gentleman who confronted her in the video, uh, basically to defend this this uh, th- this man that was in in the uh, the women's section of the spa. And as you say, this went viral. So now, what has been the response uh, in the media, if any, now that this individual has been identified as a 52 year old male registered sex offender? Well, there have been some attempts uh, in in the media on Slate, and um, I believe the Guardian to sort of update the story. But the way they do it is they don't ever uh, apologize for, um, uh, you know, slagging the women who were uh, alarmed at this or any of the commentators who want to be reasonable and say, look, this, this is, this is not, um, this is not decent and, and so on. They, there's never any attempt to, um, to apologize or retract you know, any of these allegations of being like extreme far right people who are doing this sort of thing. Um, but they, they quietly sort of have, have updated the story. But, and the other thing that they do is really quite telling is when they're updating the story, they still continue to, to use pronouns. She call the person a woman, et cetera. And clearly, I mean, even the police in one of the reports that I read uh, said that they understand that this, this is a person who's masquerading as a trans woman and that, you know, this is clearly a loophole that, you know, going back to if we want to bring up the Canadian situation, going back to talking about Bill C-16 and when it was going through Parliament and the Senate in 2017, you know, we had um, a lot of speakers who were who were trying to sound the alarm, uh, including um, Paul Dirks who is an independent researcher. He's looking at male violence against women in, pu- in public spaces. And, uh, you know, he, he, his presentation to the Senate committee, um, he presented a study showing that incidents um, in jurisdictions with gender self-ID, um, these types of voyeurism incidents, they, they increase, they double, you know, because suddenly there's a loophole. And of course, as we know, uh, predators will always use loopholes whenever they can. So we're just handing it to them on a silver platter. It would appear that this We Spa incident was a textbook case of exactly what people have been warning about. Uh, and obviously mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's very awkward uh, for the, uh, you know, the radical gender uh, ideologues. And so they just would rather this story go away, but uh, we're not going to let it uh, tell us. No, we're not. <laughs> tell us a little uh, a bit about the gender critical story hour. How do we listen? Ah, Gender Critical Story Hour. Um, you can find us on rss.com. Uh, gender, we're also on um, uh, Google Podcasts. If you just search on Gender Critical Story Hour, you'll find us. We've had some great guests that maybe you've had on your show, people like Barbara Kay um, and others internationally. And we like to kind of keep it informal and kind of go behind the scenes and and uh, find out how people got involved in the issue and so on. So gender, gender critical story hour. And very quickly, uh, how do we find Cosbar online or social media? This is Canadian women's sex based rights. Yes, you can find Canadian women's sex based rights at Cosbar.ca. That's C-A-W. S-B-A-R, Cosbar.ca. And there you'll find out what we're up to, what the issues are, uh, what our mission statement is. And we even have 
a swag shop now where you can get um, T-shirts and hats and stickers and all that kind of stuff. We're completely independently funded. We have no corporate sponsorship and we believe that we'll never get any government funding. So we rely on the generosity of people um, who are um, in favor of supporting women's and children's uh, rights and protections. All right. Esme, thank you so much for hanging out. Great to meet you. Thank you so much, Richard. We really appreciate this. Esme V, founding member of Cosbar, co-host of Gender Critical Story Hour podcast. All right. Hour two awaits. We're going to replay that uh, interview from yesterday with Professor Julie Ponisef. Ponisi, who was uh, fired um, in her role as uh, an ethics professor at the University of Western Ontario because she um, she's not going to get vaccinated. Imagine an ethics professor being coerced into taking a vaccine and then fired for refusing to do so. Uh, Plus, the mayor of a small rural township who is uh, taking a stand against vaccine passports. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Hour two of the Richard Serrett Show. Uh, so yesterday we met Professor Julie Ponesi. She's, well, was, I should say, the professor of ethics at Huron College uh, at the University of Western Ontario. And she taught ethics for 20 years, not just at Huron College, but elsewhere. And uh, she posted a a very emotional and powerful video on Twitter a couple of days ago, uh, basically explaining that she was likely to be fired because she refuses uh, the vaccine. And for her, this was a, a textbook case of ethics 101, something that she would teach her students about, critical thinking, uh, why coercion in this case, is immoral. And here she is finding herself in this exact position and uh, was, in fact, fired. Although the university is denying that they fired her. I'm not sure exactly how they can argue that. However, we're going to replay that interview uh, a little bit later this hour, but also we'll play, again, that very uh, profound, cogent um, I think someone on Twitter described it as one of the best articulations of why vaccine passports are immoral and unethical. That's uh, Professor Julie Panessi coming up a little bit later. And then we're going to meet, I'm looking forward to this, we're going to meet the uh, mayor of a small rural township in southwestern Ontario, Warwick Township. I think it's down near Sarnia. And uh, Mayor Jackie Rombouts uh, also took to Twitter to explain why she's fed up with the bullying and will not reveal her medical information to anyone except her healthcare provider. And, uh, you know, she's not an anti-vaxxer, but she is opposed to these uh, vaccine passports. Now she's not telling businesses in her township what to do or whether they should refuse to comply with the vaccine passport uh, system. Uh, She in fact is quite willing to, to suffer, I guess what she calls this discrimination. If she's not allowed to go into a business, well, that's the way it is. So we'll meet uh, Jackie Rombouts, the mayor of Warwick Township, coming up a little bit later this hour. 
News, not in the news. news. All right, but first we're going to get Mr. Lou Skeezus in here. Lou, how are you? Well, just concerned, you know, are we serious about traffic on the fives? (laughs) I just want to know the commitment. I'm all in. Okay. All right. As long as you're all in. With your help. Okay. Well, you know, I'm here. I'm here for you and the clock. The clock. Because Jody's not here. And when Jody's back, you know, you're going to be in trouble, right? (laughs) Wasn't that a song by the Ronettes or something? (laughs) It was, yes. So, you know, let's keep advised on that German phrase of the day. All right. The German idiom of the day. Idiom. Idiom of the day. Jacob, please. A little music. Today, Lugan Haben quotes a bina. Lugan Haben quotes a bina. Lugan Hagen quotes a bina. That's great, Richard. Are you planning a trip to Germany soon to, you know, take that skill that you developed over all these months? Right, yes. I'll, I'll see how much trouble I can get in. Well, you know, bring your German phrase book. <laughs> you know, work the diction. Work the diction. Lugan haben quotes a bina. Okay, give it to me. What could you possibly be saying in German? All right. Well, the literal translation is lies have short legs. Oh. Have short legs. So the meaning of this expression, pretty straightforward, I guess. Lies won't get very far with those little legs. Wow. You know, I'd like to go with that, but from what I'm seeing, lies rule the day. Exactly. Exactly. What was it um, uh, Mark Twain said about lies? Uh, Lies can go around the world while truth is still getting his pants on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on, especially now ahead of the uh, September 20th election. You know, tonight's a big night. Yes. Well, the NFL season starts tonight, of course. Right. Are you a football (laughs) fan? I, you know, I, I, I'm a New York Jets fan, so mm-hmm. I'll be following them throughout the season. Although I got to tell you, you know, being an old geezer myself, watching Tom Brady go after, uh, you know, his longevity record, seven Super Bowls. You know, he just, uh, you know, challenging George Blanda for, you know, age and uh, success in the NFL. Field goal kicker for the Giants, right? No, he was the field goal kicker for the Raiders ah, and a fill-in, you know, backup quarterback. Right. He played till he was almost 50. He Joe. was, I think, 45 last game he played. Right. And Brady's 44. So anyway, those are the two themes that I'm following. Plus, as you know, um, single sports betting is now on the table. In Ontario. Yeah. And, well, I, I'm not sure how they're going to implement it, but I know that uh, oh, look at this. What's Brandon putting on? Whose number? Whose number? Wait a minute. Is it? A- oh, Elliot. I'm not sure. Okay. What sport is that? Uh, well, it looks like football. Is it Dallas Cowboys? There we go. Oh, it's the boys. Okay. So uh, Brandon was uh, on WhatsApp with me and he's saying, when are we starting the uh, the Super Bowl uh, pool? Oh, well, you know, I wouldn't talk about it right here. You know, I don't want to be involved in anybody's felony, but. Yeah, we're we're not playing for money. Just oh, well, okay. Then why bother? (laughs) (laughs) 
right. <laughs> you know, it's like the be or not to be. Like, yes, I'm the reigning champion, but, you know, what does it do for me? I got bragging rights, but not outside of this conversation. Okay. Well, we're working on a little uh, a little swag. <laughs> Some money. All right. Listen, I got to play this for you. All right. Uh, let me see if I can remember this gentleman's name. This is the liberal candidate running in New Brunswick, Brunswick Southwest. His name is Jason Hickey. Sounds like uh, he let the cat out of the bag. I don't know if he's going to get hauled into a liberal headquarters for saying this. But uh, Jacob, could you play that clip for us? Lots of tax incentives for uh, for first home homeowners uh, in if you're under 40, you can save a tax-free up to $40,000. So, you know, that's something that we will. And when you put that money in, it's tax-free. When you take that money out, it's tax-free. Um, but of course, anyone selling their primary residence, uh, it, you, you do make money on that. So unfortunately, you do you will have to pay tax on that. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't agree to that either, but it's what we have to do. <laughs> Okay, so here's what I would recommend to this character, you know, and his tribe. Burn the crops, kill, slaughter the animals, um, flatten their homes and their buildings, and sow salt in the earth so nothing ever grows there again. Okay, this guy and his whole cadre of taxing people's primary residence after a lifetime of paying interest with no tax deductibility on the interest on the mortgage. You know what I say? You can kiss my big red Royal Canadian. You got that right. You got, how does, how does a guy like that let that slip out? Well, I think marijuana is legal now. There you go. You know, I mean, medicate, isolate, right? So, I mean, this should be like a career ender for Trudeau, but it won't be. Well, which one? The the fact that he's got a stooge that has or has not assaulted women running for the party? Well, yes. Well, all of those things. But oh, okay. here we go. As you say, I mean, this should be a non-starter for the, you know, 70 percent. How many what percentage of Canadians own their home? Uh, in Canada, over 60 percent are owner occupied dwellings. Right. 60%. 60% of the housing stock. So there's 40%, and it's over 60, but I'm going to be generous and say 40% are in a different equation when it comes to housing. And uh, for the majority of homeowners, uh, their house represents the most significant part of their uh, financial accumulation. So housing represents most of their wealth. Right. I mean, that should be the end of the road for the liberals, but it won't be for some reason. I don't know. Well, I mean, we could, you know, nail them to the pyre, pour oil on it and then set it afire. But people think I'm radical. (laughs) They think you're unreasonable. Well, in my, you know, if I was the uh, all powerful, omnipotent uh, leader of the country, these people would be rounded up, nailed to a pyre, covered in oil and set on fire. Okay, so this this video was posted by um, conservative MP Michelle Rempel. Is it Michelle Rempel Garner? I think. And here's the thing: now the liberals are claiming that the conservatives edited the video. We, okay, let's play that back and let's see if we can hear. You know, I don't know any indication of an edit. I, I saw it. I didn't see any jump cuts. Jacob, could you play that clip again? 
Lots of tax incentives for uh, for first home homeowners. Uh, in if you're under forty, you can save tax free up to forty thousand dollars. So you know that's something that we will. And when you put that money in. It's tax-free. When you take that money out, it's tax-free. Um, but of course, anyone selling their primary residence, uh, it, you, you do make money on that. So unfortunately, you do you will have to pay tax on that. Um, <laughs> that I wouldn't agree to that either. But it's what we have to do. Hmm. All right. It's what we have to do. We have to take it from you to give it to us. I love it. Okay, so let me just read. This is from the uh, the Liberal Party. They're saying this is a lie. Uh, now, apparently, there's something they, they're claiming the Conservatives edited it out. They're saying that the Conservatives edited out. I don't believe we plan on bringing that forth. I don't think we do that. I don't plan. I don't believe we plan on bringing that forth. I don't think we do that. Hmm. And what about when they edited the uh, O'Toole video? About healthcare. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It seems to be the way you want to play. So if their allegations are true, it just seems to be part of the uh, rules of engagement. All like right. I said, my rules of engagement, nail them to a pyre, cover in oil, set them on fire just for giggles. <laughs> I'm going to uh, um, find that video, the uh, supposed unedited version, and we'll play that tomorrow to be you know, fair and upfront. Oh, come on. You want to be fair now? If that's the case, if he didn't say okay, it, okay. I think we should assuage the uh, the fears. Of Don't you have the CBC to do that for them? <laughs> Can't we just have the CBC defend their uh, you know wallet, their paymaster? Why do you have to do it? Why do I have to do it indeed? I don't know. Well, you're moral. I get it. You're straight as an arrow. I get it. Well, not exactly straight as an arrow, but I think in this case. Well, compared to me. Listen, if because there, there are millions of homeowners out there that are now fearful that their nest egg is going to be taxed. And if we can assuage those fears by, you know, by putting the story to rest and say, no, he didn't say that. It's not true. then then it's worth doing that. OK. All right. If you need to. I just say, you know, why do I have the CBC if not to defend the liberals in every corner of the country? Well, I don't think you could accuse me of ever carrying water for the liberals. But in this case, I do want to get to the truth. truth. It's all about the truth. I get it. All right, my friend. Go walk Sebastian. That's it? No fires? No pitchforks? No? Okay. <laughs> There's still- happy capitalism. All right. Happy capitalism. All right. When we come back, a very uh, profound powerful statement from a uh, recently fired professor of ethics speaking out against the immorality of vaccine passports. That's straight ahead. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. So yesterday, a very profound, powerful uh, statement on Twitter from an ethics professor, formerly, who taught at Huron College, part of the University of Western Ontario, uh, Dr. Julie Panessi, giving us sort of a, a, a lesson in Ethics 101. Here she is. My name is Julie Panessi, and this message is about mandatory vaccinations. I am a professor of ethics at Huron College at the University of Western Ontario. It's one of the largest universities in Canada. 
Today, I'm going to teach you a short lesson on the universally accepted ethics of coercing people into medical procedures. I'll be the example. My employer has just mandated that I must get a vaccine for COVID-19. If I want to keep working at my job as a professor, I have to take this vaccine. Here's my conundrum. My school employs me to be an authority on the subject of ethics. I hold a PhD in ethics and ancient philosophy. And I'm here to tell you it's ethically wrong to coerce someone to take a vaccine. If it happens to you, you don't have to do it. If you don't want a COVID vaccine, don't take one. End of discussion. It's your own business. But that is not the approach of the University of Western Ontario, which has suddenly required that I be vaccinated immediately or not report for work. So with the school year beginning in a few days, I am facing imminent dismissal after 20 years on the job because I will not submit to having an experimental vaccine injected into my body. I've had plenty of vaccines in my life, but I've never been forced to take one. It's always been my choice. I don't work in a high-risk environment. I'm not a doctor in an emergency room. I'm a teacher. I'm a university professor. My job is to teach students how to think critically, to ask questions that might expose a false argument. Questions like, says who? Who is the authority giving this order? Should I trust them with control over my body? As a professor, I don't have to watch the news to find out if the COVID vaccines are safe. I read medical journals and I consult my colleagues who are professors of science and medicine. I've learned from doctors that there are serious questions about how safe these vaccines really are. There are questions about how well they work. Nobody's promising that I won't get COVID or transmit COVID if I get the vaccine. But ultimately, none of that matters to me because I'm a professor of ethics and I'm a Canadian. I'm entitled to make choices about what does and does not enter my body regardless of my reasons. If I'm allowed back into my university, it's my job to teach my students that this is wrong. I'm hired to teach them that it is ethically wrong to impose an experimental medical procedure as a condition of employment. This is my first and potentially my last lesson of the year. Ethics 101. In the spirit of Socrates, who was executed for asking questions, this lesson will consist of only one question. The answer is multiple choice. Please listen carefully. When a person has done the same job to the satisfaction of her employer for 20 years, is it right or is it wrong to suddenly demand that they submit to an unnecessary medical procedure in order to keep their job? In this case, the procedure is an injection of a substance that has not been fully tested for safety. It has not yet been shown to be effective. It is designed to prevent an illness that poses little threat to the employee. The employee is not allowed to ask questions. She may only submit to the procedure or be fired. To my first year students, is this right or is this wrong? I already know the answer.
That was amazing, Julie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. There you go. Whew, tough to listen to, uh, particularly at the end when she breaks down Professor Julie Panessi. And we aired that yesterday. Um, we got an update from her. She's been fired, although the university denies it, but she's not teaching. After 20 years of teaching ethics, how could anyone, the premier, science table, public health officials, sit and listen to such an articulate argument from a professor of ethics and still maintain their present position, the official narrative regarding vaccine mandates. Hard to imagine, but it's true. It's happening. It's happening all over the place. So when we come back, I'm going to replay my interview with Professor Julie Panessi. uh, And um, I think you ought to listen. It's worth it. It's worth your time. Five minutes. And we'll have that for you straight ahead. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. So as uh, mentioned, Dr. Julie Panessi, former professor of ethics at Huron College at the University of Western Ontario, was uh, was fired for refusing to take the uh, COVID vaccine. The irony here is just uh, remarkable. An ethics professor fired uh, because she wouldn't be coerced into taking a vaccine, which is exactly the kinds of lessons that she's supposed to, or that she was hired to impart uh, to her students. Uh, Dr. Julie Panessi, welcome to the Richard Serrett Show. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. I was um, very moved, to say the least, when I watched your video on Twitter uh, this morning. Mm-hmm. And um, so just to get an update, that was posted a few days ago before the start of school, which was yesterday. Were you, in fact, terminated? Well, um, yes, although my employer is denying it, unfortunately. So uh, once I made it very clear that I would not comply with the vaccination mandate, including providing proof of vaccination or submitting to rapid testing or wearing a mask while teaching in the classroom, uh, it was very shortly thereafter that I received an email explaining that I would be, my teaching privilege would privileges would be suspended and that I am not to uh, try to access campus or try to teach my students. After 20 years. Yeah, I haven't been at Western that whole time, but I started teaching in about 2001 and I started teaching at Western and then I taught at some universities in the States and elsewhere in Canada, including Queens and U of T and then most recently at Huron at Western. I played your video during my monologue. I'm not sure if, well, you don't need to hear it. You mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been through it a few times. Yeah, <laughs> it's very powerful and profound. Uh, for those who may may have missed missed it, uh, just if you could kind of summarize your position again. And, and again, to me, the irony here is what's so remarkable. You're an ethics professor. These, this mm-hmm. lesson is exactly the one that you would be imparting to your students about you know resisting coercion, which is so mm-hmm. difficult. Um, just if you could just kind of summarize that. For yeah, uh, coercion, I think, is a good way to put it. I mean, the, the antithesis or the opposite of, of, 
of coercive uh, actions or coercive decisions, and I would put that in scare quotes, would be a free, autonomous decision that a rational person makes. So in ethics uh, and in critical thinking and philosophy in general, we talk about how important it is if you want to make rational choices, if you want to act on the basis of those rational choices, to receive information from the world, and then we talk about how you weigh it and how you identify inconsistencies and the credibility of certain sources of that information, and all of that is critical thinking. And when you learn to do all of that really well, or the better you that you can learn to do that, uh, the more rational or sound your choices are, and the more rational they are, uh, the more free they are, because we want to be making decisions that are a reflection of our own deeply held beliefs and principles. And especially in a democracy, in a free society, uh, one of the foundations of, of the democratic ideal is the idea that citizens can coexist with a multiplicity of deeply held beliefs and values. We can differ in terms of our political beliefs. We can differ in terms of our religious beliefs. We differ in terms of the kind of vocations we want to have, um, the kind of health care we, uh, we want to avail ourselves of. And um, so coercion undermines all of that. It, it exerts a kind of pressure uh, or or bias or puts us into a state of duress where we feel as though we no longer have choices. And I can't tell you how many people, and I receive probably, I think it would be a fair estimate to say I receive hundreds of emails a week from concerned students and concerned parents. And as we've been getting closer and closer to the start of school, their language has become the language of force. And they say, I guess I'm forced to get a vaccine. And I wouldn't do it otherwise, but I guess I have to do it. I guess I'm forced to do it. And I always try to make very clear to them that there's a big difference between being forced to do something, which is, you know, literally physically being uh, held down and have, in this case, you know, a, an injection put into your body. There's a difference between force on the one hand and um, having a smaller number of options such that it feels as though you have no other choice. And in a situation such as mine, I had a choice, a personal choice, between submitting to the terms of a mandate with which I don't agree and don't reflect my personal beliefs, uh, or I can risk losing my position, uh, losing livelihood, losing the vocation that I love, losing the chance to teach future students. And that may feel like I don't have a very good choice to make, but I still have a choice and I made the one that I'm that I feel comfortable with. Well, I think you're a hero, first of all. Um, but first of all, as you mentioned, this is Ethics 101. My mm-hmm. age boys understand, you know, that <laughs> it's wrong, that it is, as you say, the antithesis of ethics. And yet we have a hospital in Edmonton, for example, that is about to withdraw life-saving surgery, taking kicking a woman off a mm-hmm. organ donor list because mm-hmm. she's, she's afraid. She doesn't want to take a COVID vaccine. Uh, yeah. I just mentioned this premier of Victoria, Australia, who is now going to mm-hmm. hospital care for the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. I mean, why don't they get what most teenage mm-hmm. boys or girls understand? Why don't they get it? Yeah. 
It's a good question. It's a psychological question, really. And and why why does the outcome of their decision-making process look so different than the one that I just described or the one that you're describing? And a lot of different theories have been proposed to explain that. One, one is fear, um, that when you are in a state of profound fear, you tend to weigh um, the consequences of something that you perceive to be bad happening. You give it much more weight than you otherwise might, right? And so uh, if you're tremendously afraid of COVID, even if you have a very, very small chance of getting very ill or dying from it, then you will make all your decisions with a view to making sure you don't get COVID, right? And I think we're seeing, uh, and that can be based on sort of a faulty structure of information, but it's still uh, with that sort of goal in mind or the view in mind. And I think we're also seeing a tremendous amount of fear from people to step out of line with the mainstream narrative. Uh, just five minutes before I came on your show, uh, I saw that the London Free Press, so Western is in London, Ontario, right? So the London Free Press uh, just wrote an article on a video that we're talking about today, and it was basically a smear. It's full of all kinds of um, information that is not factual, uh, and that's terrible. You read that, and you, you like to be brave, you like to be confident, but it hurts, of course, and you know that much of your reputation will depend on a perspective of a journalist who has not only met you, knows nothing about you other than what he has seen in about a three and a half minute video, uh, is following um, what my employer is saying, your oncologist is saying that no one has been dismissed and that just simply isn't true. Uh, and I have email evidence to show that that isn't true. Um, and, it, and it hurts and it's difficult. And I think nobody wants to shoulder that kind of, uh, that kind of burden on their reputation. But if we don't start doing that, we are going to slide so far away from the kind of democracy that we have enjoyed as a luxury. We viewed it as a luxury so much so that we don't even think about it on a regular basis. And I think our, our parents and our grandparents and people who have fought in the wars to make Canada the kind of place it is, have fought so hard to make sure we didn't have to worry about it. But we need to very seriously take the sacrifices that they made as a legacy and treat that responsibly and make sure that we stand up as citizens and do everything we possibly can to pull back from this abyss that we're about to slide into. 100%. Dr. Panessi, we're out of time. I hope that you... Okay. I hope you'll join me again because there's so much more to discuss. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your sentiments. And again, I think you're a hero and uh, I really appreciate you spending some time. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for, for putting me on and making the story more known. Uh, Dr. Julie Panessi fired from uh, Huron College for refusing the COVID vaccine, even though she's well, this is a classic textbook example of uh, coercion. And she teaches a course in ethics. Don't you know? All right. When we come back, my conversation with a brave mayor from a tiny township. That's straight ahead. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 AM. Warwick, Ontario is getting lots of attention these days due to Warwick's mayor, Jackie Rombouts. That she rejects the province's vaccine passport and will not share her medical information to anyone except her doctor. Mayor Jackie Rombouts, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. 
Could I get you just to repeat your recent statement on Twitter? I don't know if you have it in front of you. It doesn't have to be word for word, so people understand what you tweeted out earlier. Well, I can read it word for word if you'd like. Sure. Okay. After a lot of contemplation and prayers, I have decided that I will not reveal my confidential medical information to anyone except my personal health care provider. I will refuse the Ontario vaccine passport and will not patron any business or organization that will not welcome all of my fellow Ontarians equally. I am prepared to accept any discrimination that will inevitably come my way as a result of this decision, and I will vehemently defend the rights of others to do the same. I have no desire to live in a two-tiered society where there are haves and have-nots where people live in fear of each other and where it is acceptable to discriminate against our neighbors, friends, and family. This is Canada, strong and free. I am prepared to defend it. Was that a difficult tweet? Did you have to think about it? Did you hesitate before hitting send? Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. It uh, was something that I had been thinking about for a long time and something that it it took a lot of time for me to put that down in words because you just don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get. What has been the reaction? Let's start with the township council. It's a small council. It's yourself and four other councillors, I believe, right? Yes, it is. I am blessed to have four uh, great men at my table and we are all very, very different in our opinions about a lot of things, which I love because I love to surround myself with people who will give me other opinions, other sides of points of view. So they don't all agree with me. Um, I speak only for myself when I am on social media, unless it's something officially for the township. So I'm hoping that my comments don't uh, reflect negatively on the township or on our council, but I haven't had a great or a huge reaction at this point. Tell us a little bit about Warwick Township. Where is it located in the province? And give us some of the important things that we should know about Warwick Township. We are a beautiful, small municipality located between Sarnia and London along the 402 in southwestern Ontario. We are kind of the heart of southwestern Ontario. And we are seeing some great, strong economic development happening within our township right now. People are starting to realize the benefits of of setting up business out in the rural communities where the taxes are lower and the people are friendly and hardworking and we're seeing more and more residential development happening as well. What's the number one industry there? Is it agriculture? Absolutely, yes. We feed the masses here in Warwick Township. We talked about the makeup of the Township Council and how they view your, your recent statement. What about your constituents? I have been overwhelmed, actually. I I assumed when I put this message out that I would see a lot of hate. And I have seen, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you the reaction from people all over Canada. Like I get calls from Prince Edward Island all the way to uh, Alberta, BC, like all over. People just saying, please don't back down. Keep, keep this going we need to have more voices like yours so yeah it's been overwhelming to be honest like i've cried with people on the phone um who are suffering who have been working in their jobs for years and years and are looking at possibly losing them it's it's devastating for so many people 
Uh, Mayor, if I could get you to hold on, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Mayor Jackie sure. Rombouts is uh, the mayor of the uh, township of Warwick, Ontario. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. After a lot of contemplation and prayers, I have decided that I will not reveal my confidential medical information to anyone except my personal health care provider. I will refuse the Ontario vaccine passport and will not patron any business or organization that will not welcome all of my fellow Ontarians equally. I am prepared to accept any discrimination that will inevitably come my way as a result of this decision, and I will vehemently defend the rights of others to do the same. I have no desire to live in a two-tiered society where there are haves and have-nots, where people live in fear of each other and where it is acceptable to discriminate against our neighbours, friends and family. This is Canada, strong and free. I am prepared to defend it. Mayor Jackie Rombouts from Warwick Township stays with us. Uh, Mayor, the the corporation of the township of Warwick issued a statement saying that your views do not necessarily reflect the views of the corporation. Who speaks for the corporation? I believe that was that statement was issued by our CAO, but I supported that statement. We don't necessarily support. What does that mean exactly? I- I believe that the attempt was just to separate themselves from my views, and I think it's, I believe it's to kind of protect the township from any possible. We just don't know uh, in the in the current climate what kind of reaction people are going to have. So it is what it is. Right, I understand. Do you have a main business area, a main drag, a main street where there are businesses? What have the business owners said? Will there be some, do you imagine, who will choose not to force the vaccine passport mandate? Um, I know that there are businesses all over Ontario who are standing tall. There's a Facebook group right now with thousands of people that are saying that they aren't going to enforce the mandate. So we will see what happens. I am praying that the provincial government will see the error of their ways in this and will realize what kind of detriment they're doing to our society by continuing down this path. I spoke with the founder and administrator of that Facebook group, Ontario Businesses Against the Health Pass. You're right. The last time I checked, it's, I think, over 150,000 members. Yeah. Has the premier reached out to you after your statement? No, no, he hasn't. If he were to call you, what would you say to him? I would ask him to listen to the people who are hesitant about taking these vaccines and listen to both sides of this whole situation. I think that he has surrounded himself with people who are on one side of this. And I respect anybody who is sitting in government and I recognize that it is very difficult for him and for all of government to be able to make the decisions that they make. But I would strongly advise him against doing what he's doing. I really think that history is going to look, he's going to regret it. What are your greatest concerns about the future of this province and this country, given the current road we're headed down? What scares you the most? The inequality. There are people from all different nationalities that live in Canada. We are so blessed to have people from every place on this earth. And so many of them are many of them are hesitant to take this and 
I would hate to see anybody refused for any reason. We are all Canadian, and I don't understand how they think that they are protecting society by doing this. The people who are vaccinated are protected by the vaccine. The people who are not are taking the risk. When you decided to run for mayor of this small rural township, did you ever imagine that you would be on the radio talking about this right now? Not at all. My reasoning for becoming or for running for mayor was to improve my township enough that my kids would want to raise my grandkids here. Um, I love my municipality and my whole goal was just to serve my community. I love everything about my community. I never, ever thought that <laughs> anything like this would happen. But I think it's important that people speak up when they see inequalities existing within our area so and i know that there are i know for a fact that there are millions of people who have taken the vaccine but don't want to see these vaccine mandates come into place they don't want to see their family doctor have to resign or or leave his post because he chooses not to take the vaccine they don't want to see people not being able to go and pursue greater education because of a choice that they're making. I don't know if you can answer this, but are there doctors in Warwick Township that have talked to you or that you've heard about that are, let's say, conflicted by all of this, maybe even choosing to to retire? Not specifically in Warwick Township, but I have heard in the last few days from uh, doctors in Ontario uh, who support my message and Just to be clear, I am not in any way against the vaccines. People like to label anybody who doesn't go along with all of the mandates and restrictions as any vaxxers or anti-maskers. I am not against these vaccines. I volunteered hours and hours of my time at the local mass vaccination clinic over the summer to make sure that everybody who wanted a vaccine had it available to them. I am not an anti-vaxxer in any way, shape, or form. I hate that term because I think it otherizes a whole group of people who just sincerely would like to wait to see what's going to happen. Let's give Warwick Township a little plug. If people want to find out more about your, your township, where, where can they find it online? They can go to warwicktownship.com and see all of the opportunities. We have uh, three residential Uh, developments in the works right now we're welcoming people from all over Ontario and businesses as well it's a great place to live work and play well with you as mayor it sounds like paradise (laughs) thank you so much Jackie Rombouts is mayor of Warwick Township in Ontario All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. As part of our Meet the Candidates feature, we'll meet the NDP candidate for Mississauga, Aaron Mills, and the Green Party candidate for Mississauga Streetsville. U.S. Attorney John O'Connor will be here to discuss why the September 11th mastermind is still awaiting trial 20 years later. Plus, the irascible but lovable one, the Lim Riddler, And Lou, Jacob, and Brandon will square off for another hilarious round of The Bee or Not The Bee. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.